At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at the church, and it is my great privilege to bring to you uh, God's perfect and precious word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, I am uh, a little sad today uh, because we are ending our study of Philippians. Anybody else a little, little sad about that? Uh, as we travel through these books together, uh, I kind of grow this kind of heartfelt, um, deep connection with the book. And so when we, when we leave the book, I kind of feel like there's, there's just still more stuff. There's, there's more depth in the book of Philippians that we're not going to get to. Amen. We, we spent uh, uh, 14, 16 plus so weeks in the book of Philippians and there is still depth here in Philippians, yet, uh, sadly, we are going to be moving on. If if you want to be reading ahead, go ahead and jump back over to 1 Corinthians. If you remember, we were preaching through 1 Corinthians, and then we paused um, when all of this, you know what I'm talking about, all of this happened. We paused uh, and and decided we wanted to go through Philippians because it was that Philippians is about this, this church, this group of people who are in turbulent times, yet they are fellowshipping together in the gospel, partnered in the gospel together, going through difficult times. And so we thought it very necessary uh, to, to go through this book. Uh, and so we have seen just so many amazing truths in the book of Philippians, have we not? We've seen, I mean, let's, let's just do this. Can we do this as we get started? Let's just jog through the book real quick. You want to do that? Go ahead and get the book open in front of you because we're just going to jog through it. We're going to jump from verse to verse to verse and just try to unfold, unpack, look at the beauty of this book through looking at it uh, from, from 30,000 foot. Just look at chapter one, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Live down here like you belong up there. Amen. He wants our lives to reflect the gospel. So he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we are supposed to live down here like we belong up there, yet do that in the context of community, a family, a forever family, a church body, a local church context. He wants us to come together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, lock arms in in deadlock unity and say, we're going to live down here like we belong up there and we're going to do that together. Now, everything that he says past verse 127 is just unpacking what that is. It's unpacking what that looks like. So he he says uh, in, in 121, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you, can you believe that statement? Can you even wrap your mind around what it means to live is Christ and to die is gain? He is saying, Jesus is my greatest treasure of all. Everything that I have and all that I am, I'm going to devote to Jesus Christ. And, and this is what I'm about. To live is for Christ, service for Christ. My family is for Christ. My money is for Christ. My house is for Christ. My car is for Christ. All my talents are for Christ. Anything that I have, it's all for Christ. And you know, if I die, that's going to complete my joy because I'm going to be face to face with Christ. So to live is Christ. And 
and to die as gain. How about to uh, the end of verse 12 on to 13? So chapter two, verse 12, the end of verse 12 on to 13, where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What? You want us to do what? I thought we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Well, we absolutely are. And those who are saved will be working out of their salvation. They'll be working from the position that they are saved. That's why he goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so, so sometimes I don't feel like a child of God. Anybody else? Sometimes I don't feel like a sanctified child of God, but God says that I am, and he says for me to keep on working at being a sanctified saint, somebody, he, he, he says keep on working at being a sanctified saint because it is God who's working in me. He, he goes on to say this, how about uh, 3.8? How in the world can we forget Philippians 3.8? We would be remiss if, if we're looking at the scope of this book and we don't, and we don't touch on Philippians 3.8. It says this, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the what? Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, his, his person, his work, his propitiatory work on the cross, his expiating power on the cross is amazing and beautiful and glorious. And it is because of those things, because of his person and because of his work, he is the greatest treasure. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in our life is worthless and meaningless, like your job doesn't matter, your house doesn't matter, your car doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying compared to Christ, everything is rubbish. When it's compared to the greatest treasure of all. And, and this is the way that he wants to live. How about, about 3.12? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The Christian life is about pressing and pushing and striving and fighting and going forward in our own personal growth and holiness. Why would we keep fighting to get sin out of our life so we can become more like Christ? Well, because he has made us his. Do you know what it means, saint, that you belong to Christ? That's great news this morning. Amen. You belong to Christ. This is fantastic, astonishing news. How about 4-4? Four, four? I love 4-4. Four, four. Anybody love chapter 4, verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is known as the epistle of joy because he keeps getting after them that he wants their lives to be filled with joy. Joy not based on their circumstances, Right? Not, they're not confined to the prison of their circumstances, but no matter what happens to them, they are walking in joy because they have Christ, because they have the true treasure. This is his great desire for the people in Philippi, is that their hearts would be filled with joy. There would be a joy-filled people no matter what's going on in their life. And that's, my, my heart is, is that same thing for you, that your hearts would be filled with a content and joy because you have the true treasure. That's why week by week we open the scriptures and I point you to the true treasure. I point you to Christ because I want you to have joy. I want you to be able to say 4-4, four, four, rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. How about 4-6? I love 4-6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Is, is the world losing its mind and, and like so anxious and freaked out right now? It absolutely is. And this text clearly says, do not be anxious about anything unless it's a global pandemic and an economic crisis. Oh, no, no, it doesn't say that. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in 
everything, let your request be made known to God. How about 4-7? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. In the middle of everything we're going through, who needs the peace of God to guard your heart? This guy right here. And I think everybody in this room and everybody watching online, we need the peace of God. We need the peace of God to guard our hearts. So we're at the end of this great letter. Again, I am sad to see it go, uh, but we're going to get into Corinthians and I'll probably just, you know, get jazzed up about Corinthians as much as I am about Philippians right now. So calm down. It'll be fine. But how do you, after everything we just looked at, how do you, how do you land the plane on something like this? I mean, you guys see me week by week struggling to close down my sermons. You know, like I, I get to the end and I'm like the plane is just circling the runway. You know, like, all right, come on, Pastor Kirk, we got to, you know, so it, it's difficult to figure out how to land the plane. So how is he going to land the plane on, on this one? Well, be sure of this, that the Holy Spirit empowering the Apostle Paul still has some amazing truths left for us in the end of this book. Amen. You believe that? Yeah. There is still some amazing truths that we are going to discover and find as he is closing out this pastoral epistle, as he is reporting about his missionary journey, we're going to discover this amazing, life-changing truth that has to deal with generosity and trusting in God as he communicates to them uh, about the support that they had been giving him. So here's the, here's the whole sermon. I, I took it, I took verse 14 through 23, and, and I boiled it down, I boiled it down, and I got it to... Uh, Let's count them. One, two, three, four words. Here we go. Here's the, here's the whole sermon right here. Generous people trust God. Generous people trust God. That, that's it. That, that's what we're going to discover as we, as we finish out this great, this great epistle. You see, generous people, people who sacrificially give so that the gospel message can go forward, people who give their time, their talent, and their treasure so that other people are served, they trust God. Do you know what's going on in the church at Philippi when this, is, when this is being written? I mean, Paul is over here in jail. The Roman government is persecuting them, meaning they're hunting them down and killing them because they're Christians. The Philippians are losing their jobs. The Philippians are losing their homes. The Philippians are losing their family members. And they are still giving generously. They are consistently giving their money, their supplies to the forward progression of the gospel. We're going to discover that two, twice when Paul is in Thessalonica, they send him money. We're discovering right now what we're going to see in the text is as he is languishing in jail, chained to the Roman Praetorian guard, they're still sending him money. They don't got money. They don't have supplies, yet they're sending money and supplies. Now, how in the world are these poor persecuted people that don't have any money, that don't have any supplies, how are they sending money and supplies? They believe verse 19. Did you see verse 19? Anybody excited about verse 19? Just, just look at it. It's absolutely incredible. And my God will supply every need of yours. How, how does he do that? According to what? According to his riches. Whose riches? His riches, according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. They believed, verse 19, they believed that all of their needs were going to be supplied. Therefore, that freed them to be generous. They trusted God. Therefore, they could be generous. That's why I say generous people trust God. 
My needs are going to be supplied. There's the Apostle Paul. He's out there trying to plant a church. He's out there locked in jail. What are we going to do? Well, we love that, brother. We're going to send supplies, but we don't have much. You know what? I know we don't have much, but what we have, we're going to send. And, and if we don't have what we need, God will supply it. Let's send it on. Generous people, generous people trust God. In the same way, church family, we can look at our current economic situ situation, we can look at the current global pandemic, we can look at social unrest, and our heart can say, uh-oh. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not feeling real generous. Actually, I'm, I'm actually feeling scared and anxious about what's going on. And instead of being generous uh, to my church and to those in need, what I need to do, I need to, st I need to start stockpiling you know, uh, ammunition and canned goods because who knows what's going to happen. I know that that's what goes on in my heart. But what we have to do is remember the truth and the beauty of verse 19. If you're taking notes, from the beginning of time until now, God has been supplying the needs of his people and he won't stop now. From the, before time began, the book of Revelation teaches us that before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. So before time began, God was supplying your needs because you needed the lamb to be slain. Amen. And so before for the beginning of time, God has been supplying the needs of his people. You can look back at the history of your life. Just turn around and look in your past and you can see time after time after time after time where God has come through and he has supplied your need and he's not going to stop now. He's not going to stop now. Okay, it's time to stop playing. We got to get to the text. Y'all got me playing around up here. I got I to gotta get to the text and we have to uh, begin to talk about uh, what it means to be generous. What does it mean to trust God? And how do the Philippians kind of become the example um, for us as they trust God and walk in radical generosity? Okay, verse 14, chapter 4. Here's what it says. Yet, well, let's stop right there. Because, because... <laughs> Because what we need to do is we need to understand the flow of thought. Why, did, why is he saying yet right here? He, he is kind of shifting gears a little bit. He's saying yet, okay, so, which means he, he, he just got done saying something, and we need to be reminded of what he just got done saying. So just let your eyes kind of glance back over to verse 10 where he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. They had sent him some money and some supplies. And so what he says is, um, I, I didn't need that. I didn't need for you guys to send me money. I know how to be content. Okay? But what he wants to be sure of is that he's not like taking a big bucket of water and dousing their flaming passion to be generous. He, he don't want to squash that. He, he doesn't want to squash that. He, he, he says... He wants them to make sure that they know he's appreciative that they gave. I, I, I didn't need your gift. I, I know how to be content. Yet, yet, okay, don't not give is what he's about to say. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He is acknowledging their kindness, their selflessness. When Paul was on the road planting churches uh, and, and being persecuted, and they were hearing all the stories about everything that he was going through, they took that brother's trouble onto themselves. They viewed his suffering as their own. 
And did they pray for him? Yes, they prayed for him, but that's not all they did. And that's not to diminish the power of prayer by any means whatsoever. They prayed for him and then they stepped in and took action and sent him some supplies. They sent him some money. That, that's exactly what they did. If you're taking notes, generous people see the sufferings of others as their own. That's what generous people do. That's what people in gospel community church do. When we see another member of our church, when we see another family in our church suffering, we don't say, oh, that, that's just terrible. I'm going to pray for them. We, we say that. We say that. And then we get in and we get involved. And we figure out how to meet that need. We figure out how to, how to, to, how to bridge that financial gap because we love each other. And generous people take on the sufferings of other people. Look at verse 15. We're, we're going to see what, what's going on here. And, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, okay, just pause right there. It, in the beginning of the gospel, meaning when Paul showed up to Philippi and began to preach the gospel news to them, that was the beginning of the gospel for them. And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, maybe circle, underline that, that's important, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent for my help uh, once and again. Okay, um, here's, here's what we need to do. To there, There's some geography in there. there. There's some town names and stuff like that. So I, I, got, I got something good for you. I got a map. I got a map for you today. Somebody shout amen. amen. I got a map for you today. Uh, we're we're going to look at this. Uh, anybody have little girls that watch Dora the Explorer? I want to sing the song, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, but I won't do that, even though I kind of just did. So what they're, what they're talking about, uh, again, if you're looking at, at 15, and you Philippians know yourselves, the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, okay, this whole region right here is known as Macedonia. It includes Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Apollonia, Amphipolis, it, all of those places. So here's the beginning of, of Paul's second missionary journey. He leaves, heads up to Antioch, goes through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, goes all the way over here to Troas. From Troas, he goes up and lands in Philippi. That, that's Acts chapter 16. Okay, who was here when we went through the book of Acts? Okay, we went through the book of Acts. We discovered in Acts chapter 16, when he lands here in Philippi, he goes to the synagogue. There's no synagogue, so he goes down. He finds some, some, some women who were there praying. Among those women is a, a lady named Lydia, uh, who is a seller of purple goods. She, the, the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart to hear the gospel. So she gets saved. Some other stuff happens. Uh, it, I, I got a fast track here so we don't get too bogged down. Paul gets thrown in jail. Uh, it, it, you remember how he gets out of jail? That's a cool story. I'd love to tell it right now, but I won't. The jailer gets saved. The church gets started, right? But there's kind of a ruckus. So, he, so he's got to leave. He's got to get out of there, right? So, so he leaves there and goes from Philippi. Uh, it says he travels through Apollonia and Amphipolis, and he lands in Thessalonica. He goes to the synagogue in Thessalonica. Some people get saved. There's another group of Jewish leaders that are not happy at all that he's there. They, they kick him out. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a bad deal. So he leaves there, and he goes to Berea. Now, in Berea, it goes real good. Uh, he goes into the synagogue. They got their Bibles out on their laps. Paul is showing them from the Old Testament. He says, here's Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's Jesus. And, and they're like, uh-huh, we like that, Paul. That's good. So they believe 
But the, some folks from Thessalonica, they hear that it's going well for Paul in Berea. So they leave, the, so some folks from Thessalonica leave. They go to Berea chasing Paul. So he's got to get on a boat, leave Berea, and go all the way down here to Athens, from Athens to Corinth, so on so forth. That, that's, that's the journey that he went on. So that's important for us to know because of what he's saying here. When he left Philippi and went on to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea and left Macedonia. Here's what he's saying. Now that, now that you got the map and the picture in your head of the journey that, that he went on, let's read it again with a little bit more context. And you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, when he got kicked out of Berea, and you don't have to put the map back, when he got kicked out of Berea and had to leave, that's what he's talking about there. When I left Macedonia, no church, how many churches? None, none but one. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, when, when, it, I mean, when it was really going down and he was really in trouble, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So, so when he lands in Thessalonica and it's really getting bad, they send him relief, they send him money, they send him provisions, and then when it gets real bad, and he's, I mean, people are chasing him, wanting to kill him, they send him provisions again. Why? Well, because he just said they were partnered in the gospel. They were partnered. Look, go, go back. Let's go back and look at Philippians 1, 3 through 5. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, look at it. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why are they so concerned for Paul? Why are they giving out of their poverty? Why have they adopted radical generosity? Because they are partnered with him in the gospel. They're not partnered in their race. They were of different races. They're not partnered in, in their, in their uh, education. Paul was highly educated. They're, they're not partnered in their economic background. The, the thing that they are partnered in, they are partnered in the gospel. They have decided to lock arms, not because they like the same things, not because they look the same way, not because they, they are affiliated with the same political parties. That has nothing to do with it. They have decided to lock arms because they have the same king. Amen. They're partnered in the gospel. That is exactly why they have partnered together. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11.9 says this, and when I was with you and was in need, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians now, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So, he, so he's there in Corinth planting this church, and he decided not to take a salary from them. The reason was that they were, they were so broke and busted up spiritually, they were, they were spiritually immature, so much so that they couldn't understand why they would ever pay a pastor or anything like that. They, they were spiritually immature. And he says, I, I, de I decided not to take any money from you. And how did he make it? Philippi. Philippi keeps, keeps supporting him, keeps, keeps him going so he can keep preaching the gospel. They were absolutely partnered in the gospel. Again, I'll say it again. Generous people see the sufferings of others as their own. They again and again, seeing the sufferings of others as your own, is the way to cultivate your heart towards 
generosity. And this is exactly the example that we see in Philippi. Okay, verse 17. This is so important. Again, he, he is clarifying on top of clarifying. He said, uh, you guys sent me something. I didn't need it. Why did I? Because I learned to be content, yet it was nice of you to be concerned and send me money. So I didn't need it, but don't not send me money. And then he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Don't not send me money. Don't not be generous towards your church and towards other members in the church. Don't not be generous. And he wants to be sure that they know that he's not in it for the money. You see, this has been a problem in the church since the church began. Amen? Fake preachers, uh, huckster preachers coming in, not caring about the people in their church, not caring about the people in their congregation, not willing to get down where the people are and suffer with them, wanting to stand up high on the platform, separated from the people, just proclaiming and spouting off random things that they pull out of the Bible and wanting to get that paycheck. That's been happening from the beginning. And so what he wants to be sure of is that they know he's not in it for the money. Paul, Paul's not looking for a private jet to fly around in. Uh, he, he, he's not looking for uh, all the money that comes from preaching those big giant conferences so that he can buy a you know, multi-million dollar mansion and live in it. He, he's not looking to, to drive around in Rolls Royce and, and sit in the back of a limo while his drivers take him to the venue so he can preach his prosperity, whatever. He is in love with these people and is dedicated to their gospel growth. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. That's why he says, not that I seek the gift. Paul wants them to know he is not in it for the money. He insists, he insists. You, you remember uh, 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 walks through the, the qualifications of an elder, the qualifications of a pastor. And one of those is not a lover of money. Not a lover of money. Can't be in it for the money. He is insistent that they know why? Why is he so insistent? Because if he wasn't insistent, what he wants to show them, again, is that Philippians 3.8 is true. That Jesus is of surpassing worth. Jesus is the treasure. Getting a whole bunch of money is not the treasure. He's not in it for the money. So what's he in it for? Look at the rest of the verse, because what we're going to discover is, is his true heart and his intention. Look at the rest of 17. Not that I seek the money. Not that I seek the gift. Not looking for a private jet, not looking for $5,000 suits. Here's what he says. But I seek, here it is, the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What's that? <laughs> What's the fruit? You guys are good Bible students. You know how to ask questions of the text. What is the fruit that increases they're giving generously, and in their giving generously and consistently, fruit is increasing. Well, well what's that? Well, I think, I think it's clearly two things. It's at least these two things. First, it's this, rewards in heaven. Rewards in heaven. Church family, do we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Do we believe that? We absolutely believe that. We believe that no merit that we bring, no good work that we do will merit God's favor. God has already placed his favor upon us. But 
as we walk in good works, God rewards us. And these are heavenly rewards. These are crowns that we get to lay at the feet of Jesus on the day of his return. As, as we give and as we sacrifice for his bride. Do, do you know how, how Jesus blesses those who love his bride? Who, who blesses those who serve his bride? Come on, husbands, you, you know. You loved your wife and when you see people serving your wife, when you see people loving your wife, doesn't that make you wanna bless them? Doesn't that make you wanna help them? In the same way, when God the Father, when Jesus and, and, and the Holy Spirit when they see us loving the bride, the church, when they see us sacrificing for the bride, we get heavenly blessings. Here's another heavenly blessing that comes through radical generosity. On the day that Jesus returns, you get to say, I held nothing back. Don't you wanna say that, church family? When, when Jesus returns, when the sky is split open and, he, and his kingdom eternal reign begins, don't you want to be able to say with a clear conscience, Lord, I held nothing back. I gave it all to you. I gave it all for the kingdom. That's a reward. That's a fruit that increases to your credit. In addition, if you're taking notes, the only money you will ever see again is the money you give away. The only money you will ever see again is the money <clears throat> that you give away. So the first thing uh, that I think the fruit is, is, is rewards in heaven. Secondly, it's growing in Christ's likeness here and now. So not only is radical generosity uh, storing up rewards for us in heaven, crowns that we will lay at the feet of Jesus, the, the clear conscience that says, Lord, I held nothing back, but it's also growing in Christ's likeness here and now. As, as we lay our lives down and sacrificially give, who also laid their life down and sacrificially gave it all? Well, Christ. And as we walk in that, we become more like Christ. And so that's what radical generosity does. Here's something you need to know about generosity if you're taking notes. Generosity, or lack thereof, is a window into the soul. Generosity, or lack thereof, is a window into the soul. So if we're saying that generous people trust God, people who are not generous, what don't they do? Trust God. It's, it's, a, it's a window into the soul. It's, it's a picture of what's happening. It's an indicator. Now, when I say indicator, I don't mean a dead giveaway because you can be faithfully giving and still not trusting God, amen? But if you're faithfully giving, most likely you're trusting God, most most likely. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, can't, I can hardly believe that statement. It's so incredible. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you, can we even understand the full implications of what that means? I'm not sure that we can, but it's something that we should definitely meditate on. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves, here it is, with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lay up treasures in heaven. Okay, we got to move. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Listen to how he describes it. A fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, reaching back into that Old Testament uh, ceremony where they would uh, light these fragrant offerings to give uh, to the Lord. He calls it a sacrifice, again, picturing that the sacrifice of, of an animal uh, that would atone for sin, but he calls the gift that they gave a sacrifice. Here's what we, what we need to know. Radical generosity requires sacrifice. Radical, if you are going to be radically generous, if you are gonna to give towards the mission of the gospel, if you are going to be able to see someone in our congregation who is in financial need and be able to meet that financial need for them, you are going to have to sacrifice. It means that you're gonna to have to stop buying stuff that you don't need. It means that you're gonna to have to stop putting Uber Eats on your credit card every other day. Somebody help me. It, it means that we're going to have to take a real clear look at what we're spending, how we're spending it, and ask ourselves, is my budget devoted to the Lord? A am, am I providing for my family? A am I able to give to the church? Do I even have margin to help somebody who's in need? If, if, the, church, uh, if, you know, if the church says, hey, we found an amazing building and we're looking. We found an amazing building, and, and here's what we need to do. We're, we're about to shift gears and go after this thing, and we need everybody to pull together so that we can get this building, so that we can keep preaching the gospel, so that, so that we're not just paying rent, but we're, we're actually building an asset that we're able to use for kingdom work. Somebody? When that time comes, are you ready? Are you going to be ready? Well, you need to start getting ready now. You need to start getting ready now. And so, so what they did, what these Philippians did is they decided, I want to be able to sacrifice. I want to be able to radically be generous. And so they prepared themselves in order to do so. Okay, I have hastened to get to verse 19 because it is the crux of the text and what we are what we're talking about. Here it is. These poor persecuted people, how in the world are they giving? They're giving because they believe verse 19. Do you believe verse 19? Does verse 19 light you up? Here it is. And my God, my, he, so he, he takes the infinite deity, the one who spoke the universe and creation into existence and shows that he is his personal provider. And my God will supply every need of yours. Note, it says every need, meaning he will supply your need and your finances. He will supply the needs you have in your marriage. He will supply your spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, all and every need you have, he will supply. If you're taking notes, the key to generosity is to trust in the plan and the provision of God. He supplies every single need, so we have to, we, we have to trust in his plan. So we might be sitting there saying, Lord, I'm asking you for this. I'm praying for this. This is what I need. And the Lord says, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't need that. If I give that to you, I know what's going to happen. And it's not going to go good. So I'm not going to give that to you. So we have to trust in his plan. And we have to trust in his, his provision. Meaning as we look at the situation, we might think there's no way. There's no way that's going to happen. There's no way this thing could... There's no way I can get out from up underneath all this debt. 
There's no way these issues in my marriage are ever going to be fixed. There's no way that my company is going to make it through this economic crisis. We have to trust in his provision, not just his plan, but in his provision also. And my God will supply every need of yours. Again, notice that he does not say, I will supply every greed. He says, I will supply every need. He supplies every need. This is everything that we truly need, everything that we need for our life to grow in godliness, everything that we need for contentment, everything that we need to be filled with joy. Here is the truth that we need to know. We don't know what we need. We don't know what we need. We may have an idea. We may have an inclination. But, but again, just, just like uh, you, you guys have kids and they might think that they know what they need for supper, you know, which is like cake and, and two Cokes and, uh, you know, some sprinkles, some Pringles on top of there. That's what they think they need. For the, the, we, don't, we don't know what we need. We might have an idea. But he knows best. The father knows best. What's so amazing is where this supply comes from, where this provision comes from. Did you see where it comes from? Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours. It's according to or out of or from this supply. What, it, what is the supply? And God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. This is the, the fountain of, uh, of, of depth, of beauty, of the breadth of what he has to give out of. This is his bank account. He is giving out of his own according to his riches in glory. What riches in glory? Well, the riches in glory, meaning all of the universe, meaning the universe that he spoke into existence, that is according to his riches in glory. It's not only in glory, meaning his ability to speak all of creation into existence, but it's also in Christ Jesus, his person and his work. That is the fountain of supply that you have. Do you believe that? I wonder if we live like we got that kind of supply. I wonder if we live like we believe all of our needs will be provided out of that type of bank account. The, the problem is we, we think and believe too small and we forget how big and wonderful and generous God really is. God is so lavish. God is so generous to us. You are well supplied beyond anything you could ever imagine. So how dare we complain and how dare we whine about the things of this world? Okay, because of verse 19, he, he bursts into this doxology in verse 20 before moving on to his closing arguments. I mean, if you just read them both together, you understand why verse 20 is there. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He almost can't help himself to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Anybody want to say amen at the end of verse 20? Amen. Amen. Now, if you just blow by or run past 21, 22, and 23, you'll miss an astonishing little secret that's tucked away in there. This, this little surprise that jumps out. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. 
especially, listen, especially those of, look at whose household this is, church family. Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Jesus Christ comes and lives the perfect life. He dies the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. Then he resurrects from the grave. This group of 12 terrified disciples go take this message out to the world. The day of Pentecost comes, 3,000 people get saved. The church explodes out of Jerusalem, out through all around the Mediterranean, all throughout Rome, and just some 33 years later, here we are in Philippi, and the gospel has made it to the highest seat of power in the whole world. Yeah. Caesar, who is trying to hunt and kill and persecute Christians, there are members of his own household who have accepted Christ as their personal savior. Can you believe? I mean, it's, it's astonishing. Because of the radical generosity of the people of Philippi, of that church, they kept giving, they kept supporting the gospel, they kept supporting the gospel, they kept supporting Paul. Paul's in need. Paul's got to be out there planting churches, preaching the gospel. We better give, even though we're, we're, we don't have anything to give. We better give. We better do this. And what is the result? The result is the power of the gospel infiltrated the enemy. The power of the gospel gets into, and who knows who it was? Is it, was it like civil leaders? Was, I mean, was it the cleaning lady? Who knows? But somebody in Caesar's household, somebody at the highest seat of power in the known world accepted Christ. That's how powerful the gospel is, and that's how powerful it becomes when we decide to be radically generous. Amen. So I want to close with this. I am, here's what makes me excited to preach about generosity. It makes me excited to preach about generosity because Gospel Community Church is a generous church. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to come at y'all in a, in, a, in a funky way, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to be up here like, seriously, y'all, can't y'all get it? I mean, look at the Philippians. They were able to do it. Why can't y'all? No, I don't, I don't have to do that because Gospel Community Church is a generous church. You guys are so generous that at the very founding, I mean, I'm talking about day one, you guys said, Pastor Kirk, you need to be able to focus on God's word, preaching and teaching, and we're going to cover your salary. Listen, that don't happen in the church planting world. I know a ton of church planters. And for the first three years, at least, they got to work some other kind of job so that they can support themselves until, until their church is ready to support them. You guys support it. After that, we said, hey, we got an opportunity to get this building, but we don't have the money. And Gospel Community Church said, no, we got it. We're in. And so we got in here. And then we said, man, we've got a ton of renovations to do. Y'all said, how much? What, 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 what you need? I'm, I, I'm in this thing all the way. You guys, have, listen, you guys have given thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars away to church planting. Your money has gone to see churches planted in Georgia, uh, across the Southeast. We, we brought in Pete Rennie from Inverness, Scotland. Some of you, y'all don't even never heard of Inverness, Scotland, but, but here's Pete Rennie and Pete Rennie says, I want to plant a church in Inverness, Scotland. And Gospel Community Church said, we got you. We, let's, let's go. Let's do it. How much? What, what, and just time and time again, as we have come before you and, and brought before you needs of, of our church body, as, as we brought the, the Thacker family before you and said, here is our, our dear brother, David Thacker, suffering. We need to support this family. Gospel Community Church said, we are in big time. 
and we supported them during that time. We, listen, I don't even remember how many benevolence checks we've written. Churches, families in our church that were hurting and in need, and, and, and because of your generosity, we said, we're gonna cover that light bill. We know, you're, we know you're two months behind on your mortgage, and brother, not only are we gonna get you financial counseling, but we're gonna cover that. And because of your generosity, we've been able to do that again and again and again and again. Just recently, the, the, the Trevaros. Hey, we're on this adoption journey. We need 10 grand, 10 grand. And Gospel Community Church said, yep, we got you covered. No problem. Because you guys are generous. Amen. And even more recently, our dear sister, uh, Marlene Kelly, who uh, needed reliable transportation. Her community group said, we got you covered. Her, her community group, they, they just got, man, they, they got out of the checkbook. What you need, Miss Marlene? We're, we're just going, we're going to take care of that. Because of the generosity of this church, people have been blessed. Churches have been planted. Lives have been changed forever because of your generosity. And I'm so proud, so proud to be your pastor. I'm so proud to be able to say, when I look at our membership roster, that 90 plus percent, do you understand that number? That's, that's, a, that's an unheard of number in any church that I know of. 90% of our members faithfully give, faithfully give. It, it's, it's astonishing and, and it, it blesses me and it makes me so proud uh, to be your pastor. Okay, I'm, I'm just gonna close with this. This is uh, just a pastoral prayer that I just, I wanna pray over over our church uh, because I want this spirit of generosity to continue, okay? Here it is. May the people of Gospel Community Church trust in the plan and the provision of God and be known as a generous people. That's my prayer for us. Let me just pray that now. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you humbly and we ask that may the people of Gospel Community Church trust in the plan and the provision of God. Let God, I ask that for myself. I need help, Lord. Send the Spirit to help me trust in your plan and your provision because I want our church, I want our whole church to be known in the community, in, in the city, in the state. Uh, I want Gospel Community Church to be known as a generous people. Make it so, Lord. Send your Spirit now to continue the generous hearts of the people of Gospel Community Church. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.